What's going on, everyone? You're listening to Daft Picks, Episode 5, Season 2. A lot of news to talk about, football and hockey this week. Um, very soon we'll be returning to the regularly scheduled programming of mostly hockey, but for right now, the big news in the past two weeks was Andrew Luck's retirement, surprise retirement, and Parker, you have a personal attachment to this, so why don't you take the lead on this one? Yeah, so for our fantasy football league, I was not able to make it to the draft, so I had an out-drafted team, and then I made some money moves to get Andrew Luck as my quarterback, because that was my number one quarterback that I wanted to target, and I wasn't able to get him in any of my leagues, and uh, week three of the preseason, I see a thing, Adam Schefter, Andrew Luck's retiring, and I'm like, no. No, there's no way. There's no way a quarterback on a Hall of Fame trajectory in the prime of his career, who two seasons ago got paid as the highest quarterback, no, highest player in the NFL, there's no way he's going to walk away from that. And then sure enough, yeah, he did. And there I was, sitting on my couch with my phone in my hand, and I spiked into the ground because I was so mad because I traded uh, a lot of decent pieces to get him on my fantasy team. I could give the uh, stereotypical, wow, that's unlucky, but I'm just going to say... Yeah, straight out of luck. Straight out of luck. I'm just going to say, how many games is he going to play anyways? Because he's always hurt, so... Not a knock on the guy, it's just true. I thought maybe he was going to miss like two or three games in the beginning of the season, but I mean, it's Andrew Luck. But I don't really blame him for stepping away. I mean, he has been rehabbing quite a few injuries over the years, and especially at that high of a level of sports, it could really bear down on you a little bit because uh, you're going to have the coaching staff clamoring for you to get back onto the field. You have your the players clamoring for you to get back onto the field and the fans too. So it's like a lot of times when you're doing these rehabs or injuries, you don't fully rehab. You just rehab enough to where you could get back onto the field. And then that ends up you being more at risk to re-injure that or injure something else than if you were just able to do a full rehab. And Andrew Luck pretty much said that he was he wasn't mentally in it anymore. He didn't want to uh, keep doing all these rehabs, and it, it took away the fun of the game for him. And you know what? I, I don't really blame him. I mean, especially with all this uh, CTE stuff and uh, player safety, kudos to him for choosing to walk away while he still can. I think it was uh, Bill Belichick who had the quote, something along the lines of, um, you know, when you start to think about quitting or retiring in this sense you've already made your mind up like once you get that it once it starts to creep in you already know it's time I think Tom Brady echoed that when he started to think about it although obviously he's still going Gronkowski said the same thing as well so it seems like I don't know if this is just an NFL thing but I think you're seeing that more and more play out and that just seems to be what happened with Andrew Luck I mean he said he started to question whether or not he could do it anymore he didn't feel like he could He's going to get a chance to take a step away from the game for a while. I could definitely see him coming back in a, would you say, coaching capacity, maybe a scout? Yeah, I could see him being a quarterback coach. I could also see him being like maybe like an offensive assistant or something like that. Or he could maybe be in the front office. Uh, we've seen some quarterbacks do it, like John Elway with the uh, Denver Broncos. Dan Marino, in some capacity, worked in the front office, not as a GM or anything, but more as just a, like an assistant and sort of a quasi-talent scout. So, I mean, it's definitely not out of the question. Of course, he could still come back to the game, too, maybe just like take a year off and then decide that he's completely healthy, good to go. 
I don't know if I could see that, though, because with, from his press conferences, it kind of sounded like, hey, I talked to the Colts. They basically understand that this is it. There was not a big deal made about him stepping away because he just signed the deal not that long ago. The Colts would owe him a lot of money. If he didn't do it the way he did it, they would still be paying him, and that becomes a problem for the PA. We've seen it in all kinds of sports. Oh, no, they're still paying him. Uh, Jim Irsay didn't take away the... Uh, uh, I forget what the exact terms were for it, but uh, like he's, he's still getting paid his contract. He's going to get it this year, and the signing bonus that's owed to, that's owed to him. After that, I believe it's, they're, they're nulling it, essentially. From what I was reading, I could be wrong, but that's what I read. Okay. I guess we'll see how it plays out, though. Uh, in other, um, I guess, lighter news in the NFL world, did you watch Pat McAfee's broadcasting debut on Thursday Night Football? No, I did not, but I did watch the, uh, well, no, I did see some of the uh, broadcasts he did with the uh, Lions last year, and um, he lost his mind when Matt Prater, what, what, did he make like a huge field goal or something, or he made like a big tackle or something, then he just screamed for the brand? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty opinionated when it comes to Pat McAfee, but I don't know, he was all right, I guess. I don't think he was... He wasn't as bad as Tony Romo. He definitely wasn't something I'd be interested in watching frequently. I mean, I don't know. He's got that sort of style where he would fit better for, like, college for sure. I don't think he's got the Chris Collinsworth, you know, voice for the NFL. He's just really way too excited all the time. I, I, it doesn't, it's not what you expect from an <laughs> NFL broadcast. I want boring. Well, I mean, I mean it, he could set a new precedent. With that kind of style of broadcasting. I mean, sometimes when I watch football games, if it's like a slugfest of two really bad offenses and then just commentaries being like, oh, here's a tackle for a loss, here's blah, blah, blah. You know, sometimes I could, you know, snooze off a little bit. With Pat McAfee, he's just going to be like shouting at the camera, at the TV, or whatever it is that he's uh, talking at. And it's just, it's an engaging form of broadcasting. I guess. Yeah. I mean, everybody's got different I'm open opinions. To it. If somebody wants to watch that, for sure. I mean, there's definitely a market for it. I just look at what the MLB tried to do with David Ortiz and A-Rod. David Ortiz is definitely a little bit better at it. People absolutely despise A-Rod. And, yeah, it's not the same style of presentation, but it's the same ballpark, no pun intended, where they bring a, we'll say, new style of broadcasting. They're more enthusiastic. They talk more about off-the-collar stuff as opposed to just talking about the game. It's all the same thing, if you think about it. So I guess, like I said, there is a market for it. It's just not for me. <laughs> I can see it working as just an experiment for a little bit and just seeing how it goes. I mean, if anything, I mean, I think Pat McAfee still goes stick with the broadcasting. Ultimately, might not be for, like, ESPN or anything like that. might just be for, like, specific local games, like the Indianapolis home announcers or something like that. That makes sense because he's a cult. I could also see him... I think he would work really well with the XFL. That would be oh. an idea for somebody like him who's very enthusiastic. You could pair him with maybe Rob Gronkowski. I don't know. I'm just tossing ideas out. But Pat somebody McAfee and Rob Gronkowski broadcasting duo for the XFL. Like I think that would be something for that, them to really consider. That sounds absolutely incredible, and I hope they pick up that idea because that really sounds like that sounds perfect for the XFL. It, it just sounds way too like. You're right. It, it's it's the right fit. I think Pat McAfee, with the way he talks and all of his like little lingo, like 
that would be perfect for a knockdown, drag out league like the XFL is going to be. And I hope that the XFL starting elite quarterback number one is Nathan Peterman. So I saw that the uh, Raiders picked up another quarterback. They oh, four, did they? Shocking. They have four quarterbacks on their roster. I think they have three in Nathan Peterman. My all-out campaign against Nate Peterman is at an all-time high. Eh, he's still in the NFL. Okay. Say what you will, but he did good in the preseason. Also, thanks to watching a few preseason games, we have scientifically proven your hypothesis of the Justin Verlander thing false. Because I don't Na- think we have. Because Na- No, 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 because in the preseason, Nathan Pierman led a fourth-quarter game-clinching touchdown drive. That's not what I said. The, if you remember right, the scenario was one play, not a drive. You get one play. There was one play. It was the touchdown. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying <laughs> Justin Verlander, who just came off a no-hitter, by the way, who has accomplished an athletic fitness career, unlike Nathan Peterman, is probably way more adept at doing clutch things than a guy who is the fourth-best quarterback on his team. Actually, I think he's the backup. Again, just because John Gruden is dumb doesn't mean I am. I really do believe Nathan Peterman is... He's an elite talent. Okay, so Nathan Peterman is on the IR right now, and the quarterback that they just picked up was Deshaun Kaiser. The former Notre Dame guy, right? Yeah, he, you know, the architect of the Browns' winless season and then the backup in Green Bay for a little bit. The architect of the Browns' (laughs) winless season. Please, when Deshaun Kaiser (laughs) retires... At South Bend, Indiana, you need to put a plaque that says just that with a statue of him getting tackled. <laughs> Honestly, I think it's more accurate to say that Hugh Jackson was the architect of that, but Sean Kaiser implemented it. The Browns are going to brown. What can you say? Do you think the Browns are going to live up to the hype this season of them going like 10-6 and six and making the playoff? I see them going more like 9-7. and seven. I don't really think they're going to be... They're not going to be bad. They're not going to be good. I think they'll be a very middling team, maybe a wild card. I don't think the AFC is as strong as the NFC. I don't think that's any tough argument to make. But, again, you still have 31 other teams to compete against for the whole prize. I don't think the Browns are going to be standing there on February, what was it, February 3rd, holding the Vince Lombardi statue and Baker Mayfield's going to be hitting shotgun beers on the stage. Mm -hmm. That's not going to happen. No, 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 no. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Yeah, I think the Browns might crumble under the... uh Expectations, yeah. Over the pressure and Mm -hmm. expectations because no one was expecting anything from them last year and then they riled off like those six wins or something like that because they don't really have any veteran leadership or experience. Well, Joe Joe Thomas retired, right? Yeah, Joe Thomas retired a couple years ago. They traded a few of their veteran guys, I believe. They're starting two rookies at punter and kicker, which could work. I mean, to be fair, kickers and punters are really temperamental. You just got to get lucky, essentially. So that's not a big step away, but I think you look at the running back core, they have the potential to be fantastic in the run game with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt when Kareem Hunt returns, uh, opinions aside on him. But Baker Mayfield, I don't really like his options at receiver. Like, of course, he's got Odell, but Odell is very, for lack of a better term, he's streaky. He's got his moments where he's spectacular, but he also has the ability to drop the pass frequently. Like, that's his thing. Yeah, but how much of that was him, and how much of that was old man Eli Manning on the downturn of his career? I mean, to be fair, but 
Baker Mayfield, he's a slinger. He's not accurate. Like, that's not his MO. He's very much more of a Peyton Manning-esque player than he is a Tom Brady bullet to the to the receiver. He's going to throw balls that are not perfectly catchable. And while Bell's athleticism and talent will get him a good majority of those, I also don't love the fact that they their offensive line isn't amazing. Which, if you're pressuring Baker Mayfield, he's mobile but not that mobile. I don't think the Browns are going to be all that good. Like I said, they're going to be okay. Yeah, I think that, especially with that offensive line, because offensive lines are a lot more important than people like to think that they are. And if you don't believe me, look at the dumpster fire that's going to be the uh, Houston Texans offensive line this year, the Arizona Cardinals offensive line this year, the Miami Dolphins offensive line. The Colts every year. Uh, The Colts? They're uh, still not great. Their offensive line's actually pretty good this year. They've finally gotten lucky, you know, uh, Quentin Nelson the guard from Notre Dame last year. That, that That's really what fixed it up a lot. We'll see. You know, uh, the Chargers and the Seahawks both have really bad offensive lines. So, yeah, when you see all these teams that are talented and they're going to struggle, it's going to be because of their offensive lines. With that and with the real lack of veteran leadership and rookie head coach and coaching staff that I personally don't really think is that good, aside from the offensive coordinator who they pulled from Tampa Bay, I, I see 7-9. and nine. Yeah. I mean, the town's there, but... Too young. If anything, I will look at the 49ers to be the sneak team to make the playoffs. I'm not a big believer in Jimmy Garoppolo, I'll be honest with you. Especially coming off that injury. It's going to be a tough road ahead. If he's got anything in him, he'll battle back, but we'll see. Yeah, he's had a very shaky preseason, to put it mildly. But he is still by far the best quarterback on their roster. Well, yeah. And going to be in the Kyle Shanahan system. And remember, last time he was on the field in the regular season, he won six straight games. I mean, he's a gamer. When he's on the field, he plays really good. I've seen him play really good. You saw him pre-injury. That's a pretty significant hit to him. I'm not saying it's going to completely cripple his career, but I'm saying you look at the way the Patriots do business. They clearly had a reason for trading him. There are obviously behind-the-scenes issues, but that's never usually enough for them to cut somebody or trade them. I'm saying that that scouting staff and that managerial department saw something that they didn't necessarily need in Garoppolo, and they let him go. I don't know that the 49ers are the team that's going to maximize his potential. Like, I think his ceiling is much closer to, say, maybe somebody like Jameis Winston or Marcus Mariota than it is to Patrick Mahomes. And I'm not saying... I think, oh, yeah, he's not going to be a Patrick Mahomes. I think he's a very middle-of-the-pack quarterback. Like, everybody taunts him as this number one quarterback on most teams, can't-miss guy. I don't think he's that. And I don't think the 49ers are going to allow him to be that. Yeah, I don't think he's going to be that, but I do think he has the potential to be a uh, top 12 quarterback. I- I'd agree uh, with I- that. I- no, uh, like, a, like a 12 or an 11 yeah, in the top 12. Somewhere like, in there. I-, I can see him being so- something like that. So, well, the NFL preseason just ended, right? Or is it last week? Uh, we're we're th- near to the I end, think? if not. Yeah, because... Uh, yeah, the preseason's over because I believe there's a Thursday night game. Yeah, because I don't really pay attention to the preseason, I'll be honest with you. Um, well, with the NFL preseason wrapping, we have a new preseason starting, and that's the NHL. A lot of news in the hockey world. Most notably, Justin Williams is stepping away from the game. He could come back, but at the moment, he's not playing in the NHL this year. Thoughts on that? I think he'll come back. He just came off a 50-point season. And he's their captain, I believe. Yeah. yeah. He's still playing good. 
even though he's 35. I mean, I feel like he's just taking a step away a little bit just to sort of just uh, recharge. And then he's going to come back. Because, I mean, he didn't straight up say he's going to retire. He said he's taking a break. That's, I think that's exactly what he's going to do. He's going to take a break for a little bit and then come back. We'll see. A couple of quick hits around the NHL. Capocacco, Jack Hughes, both entering their rookie season. Uh, any thoughts on who's going to do better if they both play? Normally with that kind of thing, I would go with uh, their line mates. But they're both going to be playing with pretty good line mates as far as I could think. Because uh, Capo is going to be with Panarin. And uh, maybe Chris Kreider. I think that's the other Chris one. Chris Kreider. Oh, geez. Yeah. Yeah. Those are two good wings. And then Jack Hughes will probably be playing with uh, Taylor Hall. And he sure? If they decide to put Hughes on wing first, which I, I would imagine they would. I could definitely see there being a Triple H line for a little bit. I didn't think about that. <laughs> it's that funny. That's what I'm going to call it. Yeah, I like that. So, yeah. So, I coin flip. I, I really think it's going to be a coin flip. Both are teams that are trending up. Both are teams that have pretty good offensive weapons, especially the Devils with all this uh, finagling that Ray Shiro's been doing. You know, P.K. Subban's going to be on the first pairing, and he generates a lot of offense. That's a good team. A very under-the-radar yeah. team. Yeah. And if Corey Schneider can retain any form of himself, that's going to be a tough team to beat. Yeah, Corey Schneider, pre-injury, was one of those very good but very underrated goaltenders. He would fly under the radar, but he would always have really good stats, and he would always pass the eye test. Very true. So I want to do a little little game, as always. So we're going to go around the conferences and the divisions, and I want you to give me who you think the leader is and who you think the worst team is going to be. So I'll give you a second to pull those up. And just a reminder that this is obviously the preseason edition of this. We'll probably revisit this at some point prior to or starting at the regular season. So I'll ask you, the Atlantic first, who do you think is going to be the best team and the worst? Oh, that's an easy one. The best is going to be the Tampa Bay Lightning, and the worst is going to be the Ottawa Senators. I think you are correct about the Senators. I think that's a very tough team to be optimistic about at this current moment. I think the Leafs are going to be first, personally. You're making a face. Oh, don't buy into the Kool-Aid. Moving right along, the... Metro. This one's probably the hardest. It's definitely the biggest toss-up. It's like the Metro could very well pack the playoffs this year. Like I could see two Metro teams occupying the playoff spots. I could see that for sure. Absolutely. The leaders, I would have to say the Capitals. I mean, it's kind of the safe pick. Is it? I would think so. I mean, they've won it the past few years. And the worst probably be, I don't know. I, I really don't know. Because it's total because, because every single team has something you could be optimistic about. I mean, the Rangers have, you know, Capo Caco. They have a lot of these really good offensive weapons. The Islanders returning virtually the same team as last year. Yep. Uh, With the addition of uh, Derek Broussard now. So that's a good pickup for them. Yeah. The Hurricanes, they're looking up they have really good team and the blue jackets still they're still a good team but i would have to say i don't know i might have to go with the blue jackets on this one just because they're the only team that doesn't have the uh goaltender i was because they have corpusalo corpusalo and merzoclinus 
I, I don't know who that second person <laughs> is. But, yeah, I think, I think that's literally the only reason why I'm picking them. I still think they're going to be a decent team. But out of all of them, I, I understand we don't that, know yeah. who We don't know what Cobra Salas is going to look like with a full game workload. I agree. I um, mean, we saw that with uh, Scott Darling when he first true. came to the Hurricanes. I mean, he looked absolutely fantastic in the Chicago Blackhawks backup role and sometimes spot starter during the playoffs when Corey Crawford would either get hurt or would get benched. And everyone's like, oh, this guy could be a starter. And then in the Hurricanes, he sucked. So, I mean, who knows? As far as leaders, I really do see the Devils making the jump. I don't think any of the teams are, as you said, it's, it's so close. I don't think there's much separating them. And if they, they're coming with a very good team. So I could see them taking it on a whim. The only thing with the Devils that worries me is how these, like, do these players have chemistry? Like, will they work well together? Well, we'll like see. in this kind of a system. Well, preseason's four, so we'll, we'll, we'll see. I don't, I'm sort of on the same page with you for loser as well. I think the Jackets are the most questionable, but I'll be honest with you. To me, it's a three-way tie for the Jackets, Flyers, and Penguins because I don't love any of their goaltending right now. They're all very... Like, the Penguins and Flyers both have a young... I mean, I mean, the Flyers have Carter Hart. I mean, Well, Carter Hart, though, is young, and he's unproven over a full season. So you can make the same okay. arguments you could for Corpus Allo. Okay. Matt Murray, very injury-prone, and behind him, it's very shaky among that defense core. I still think the Blue Jackets, though, I don't love that they lost their best player and their best goalie. It's going to be really tough for them to rebound. Yeah. I don't know if I'm ready to say the Penguins are going to do a complete tumble fall because they still have Crosby, Malkin, and Latang, and these are three players each who could take over a game any night. Absolutely. And you can make the argument that Matt Murray at the end of the last season was very good. He had a very good run there. So I don't. I, I agree. I don't think the Penguins are going to fall that bad. And I do think Carter Hart is going to he-man the Flyers at least <laughs> into the second or third wildcard spot at various points in the year. So we'll see. Um, moving to, what is it, the West now? Uh, how about the Central Division? This one's kind of hard, too, because the Central, at least for the past few seasons, until the last two when the Metro Council took over, the Central was always like that really deep, really good division. I think the Predators are going to win it again, unless if any other team could prove me wrong, because a lot of these squads are virtually the same. For the worst, I would have to say probably the Wild. Even though the Wild are a decent team, they just... They don't know who they are. I, They're I, just identityless. Like I remember one of our friends was uh, saying this during our NHL draft. We don't know who the Minnesota Wild are. Are yep. they rebuilding? Or are they contending. retooling? They do both at the same time. It's odd. It really it's, is. It really confuses me. Well, as far as the Wild go, they have a new GM, Bill Guerin, who's very noted. I really do think they'll be okay. I honestly believe that the top team is going to be the Stars. I really like what they have everywhere on the ice. I think there's a lot to like getting Pavelski for free, adding him to a stack lineup with Ben Bishop already. So and Corey Perry on a flyer. Corey Perry, I mean, yeah. He's still going to play well and on a third-line role. I think the worst team, and this you can call me crazy, I think it's going to be the Jets. Uh, they lost their best defenseman. Patrick Laine might get traded. Whoa, hold on. Tyler Myers was not their best Not defenseman. Tyler Myers, Wait. Jacob Truba. Jacob Truba. Yeah, he's not their best defenseman either. Well, what I, do you mean? Well, Dustin Bufflin. No, Dustin Bufflin, although he's a great defenseman, is not their best defenseman. Jacob Truba does points, does defense, and he does everything in between. Dustin Bufflin is, for all intents and purposes, 
he provides a good offensive support, but he's not he's not going to be your 40, 50 point guy. He, he's more or less their equivalent of Chris Letang. I literally see them as the same player, except Bufflin is more physical. I think you can equate Dustin Bufflin to a guy like Brent Burns. Now, of course, Bufflin is nowhere near as good as Burns. That's not a knock on Bufflin. He's a very good defenseman. But I think if you're talking team-wise, Jacob Truba is to the Jets what Eric Carlson is. Obviously, way different skill level. But he's the offensive force who can also play good defensively. Dustin Bufflin is a physical force, doesn't generate a lot of offense. And you know what? He's getting older. He's getting slower. Not to mention, they're going to lose their best goal scorer, probably, in Patrick Laine. And that goaltending sucks. Connor Hellebuck had an awful year, and it's looking more and more like that's the goalie he is, a middling to lower-tier goalie than the elite starter he was the year before that. That's why I say the Jets, because I don't think they know what they are either. And that GM, Kevin Sheveldayoff, has been with them for an eternity, and nothing has really changed. I could be wrong. I probably will be wrong. I do think the Wild are awful as far as expectations, but I think the Jets are the team to watch. I still think the Jets have enough offensive firepower to be a decent team. And then lastly, everyone's favorite, the Gong Show Division, the Pacific. Man, this division sucks. It really does. There's two good teams, and the rest are all... <laughs> like, they used to be good, too. Like, a couple of years ago, it used to be the Ducks and Kings running the show, and now they're at the bottom. I think there are a couple shakeups, though. I'll be honest with you. But who do you think is going to be the winner and loser? I think the winner is going to be the Golden Knights. Really? I mean, like, who else is going to say? The Sharks? I don't think the Sharks. No, no. Uh, well, I don't know who else you would pick then. Oh, you'll see. And oh, how about how oh, about your no. loser? My loser probably. I don't, I, I don't know. Maybe the. I know you're leaning towards the Ducks. I want to say the Ducks, but they've John Gibson. But I can't because of John Gibson. He's too good. They had a stretch where they lost like 18 out of their 21 games, and they still finished with like 35 wins and 37 losses. So it's like they're they're not they still they're just have, average. They have a good team coming up. They have Sam Steele and Max Comtois who are going to make their debut this year. They still have Getzlaff. I think the Ducks will be a middling team. They're not going to be elite like they used to be. But you look at a team like the Canadians from a couple of years ago. They made the playoffs uh, purely on the backs of Carey Price and P.K. Subban. I think the Ducks are going to be very similar. Yeah, that's literally them. So, I mean, I would have to say the Kings. Because unlike with the Ducks, the Kings don't really have any prospects coming up that are really going to help them. And they have been unloading a lot of their veterans. But they still have enough old guys on there that are going to hold them back. I think you're right with the Kings being bad. I will say, my top team might come as a bit of a surprise, but I really, for some reason, like the Canucks, and I'll tell you why. Okay, that I could see. I thought you were going to say, like, Coyotes now. No, no, no. I think with Elias Patterson, Brock Besser, they get those contracts done, they'll be fine. I really like that Markstrom-Demko tandem. Their defense isn't bad. I think Travis Green's a hell of a coach. And although Jim Benning's not a great GM, he's not bad either. I think worst team, let me put this on record, the Oilers are terrible, but they're not going to be that bad. They still have Connor McDavid. And Leon Dreisaitl. And, I mean, I look at the way they're built. They'll be okay. However, I think the worst team is going to be the Flames, and I'll tell you why. The Flames... Ooh, I wasn't going to say that. I was going to put them in the middle. The Flames are trash defensively. They have maybe the best defenseman in the NHL, Mark Giordano. And after him, they suck. <laughs> Dougie Hamilton is overrated. 
I think he's a good defenseman, but he's not as good as everybody thinks he is. And that's pretty shocking because not a lot of people think he's good. Their goaltending sucks. They had a, they went from a terrible goaltending tandem to an even worse one. Mike Smith was at least decent. They traded him to Edmonton, and now they have Cam Talbot as their starting goalie, backing up David Redditch, who, after a good run of two months, was terrible. Not to mention, that offense could not figure out how to play hockey in the playoffs. So, I don't really see them going far. They lost a lot of depth pieces. Aside from Monahan and Gaudreau, who are the surefire bets to be, you know, the MVPs of that team, who do they have? You can talk, you raise your hand. I can't remember his name. I can't remember his name, but they got him from the Oilers. From the Oilers. They trade James Neal for him. Oh, Lucic. Yes. And they got <laughs> Milan Lucic. And of course, and of course, they might lose Makachuk for the season if they don't sign him. But I mean Wait, wait, what? Makachuk's not signed yet, and it doesn't sound like it's even close. Oh boy. So you're talking about taking him out for a while. That team sucks on paper. They're worse than the Oilers. The Oilers at least have two bona fide. NHL All-Stars, and a good goalie in Mike Smith, and a decent defense. Not to mention a new GM and a new coach. The Flames still have, I think, Brad Treliving as their GM. I might be wrong. And I think they, that sounds right. And their coach, I don't know who their coach is. But I think he was the one from the Hurricanes. It, it might be. I think you're right. But aside from Monaghan and, like I said, Gaudreau, who are both obviously All-Stars, they don't have anybody. And Giordano. But Giordano can't carry a six-man defensive core alone. And not only that, but Giordano is also 35, going to be 36. So, I mean, granted, he's playing the best hockey of his career in his late 30s. But how long is that going to last? Right. I mean, the age gap there, like, sure, he could definitely continue to play like this for at least three more years, like, at a high level. But this is where it comes in. Eventually, that lack of depth up front... That lack of depth at defense, which they traded away Adam Fox to the Rangers, and Adam Fox is a stud. I don't get it. I, I really don't like that team. It might be a hot take, but I, I really don't think it is. I mean, it makes sense. I thought the Flames were overachievers last year, and they kind of proved me right when they got smacked in the playoffs. Right, and I mean, that's nothing against... And they got smacked by the Avalanche, I mean... It's nothing against the Avalanche. They're a team that doesn't impress me much either, aside from their front three. Well, the Avalanche have a lot of young guys that are coming up this year that I think are going to be really good. They're they're going to make them a good team. Not a great team, but a good one. Now, moving a little bit towards the player side of things, do you have any Calder predictions? I mean, there's a lot of rookies this year. You got Jack Hughes, Capo Caco... Adam Fox, I think Carter Hart's still eligible. Thatcher Demko's eligible. You've got all these rookies who are going to play yeah, this then, year. And then you could throw in like Quinn Hughes. Quinn or, Hughes, uh, Casey Middlestat. Cole McCarr. Okay, Cole McCarr. There's so many good players. I mean, even guys who are sort of off the radar, like Vitaly Krevsov. I like him. I think he'll be good. Nikita Gusev. Isn't Zadina? Philip Zadina, if he makes it. I think Terrell Hyros has an outside shot. Not a very, a very outside shot, but an outside shot nonetheless. Timothy Liegren, Rasmus Sandin. The list goes on and on. There's quite a few. This might be the deepest Calder class in recent memory. And I mean, it's, it's really, really, really good. Yeah, especially considering last year was literally just Elias Patterson and everybody else. I remember when, uh, <laughs> I remember that Clayton Keller year where everybody was like, yeah, Clayton Keller's going to cakewalk with it. And then he didn't. And it was not a very good class whatsoever. I think that was the year, was it that Matthews and Line's year where they just. Wasn't that the one with the Besser? 
It was, yeah, you know, it was the best of year. You're right. It was the best of year. There was another player, too, that was doing really good that year. And yeah, no, you're wait, right. Wait, I think that was uh, uh, Kyle Connor. Oh, oh, yeah, it might have been Kyle Connor. Oh, that's another guy the Jets have unsigned, by the way, is Kyle Connor. So. Oh, sign him. He's like 22. What are you doing? So we'll, we'll, we'll see. I, personally, if I had to throw a dart at the wall, which that's what we're doing at this point, I really, really, really like guys from the Rangers. I think Kaku might get it. I'm a big believer in Vitaly Kravtsov. But ultimately, I think it's going to be Nikita Gusev. He's on the Devils now. That's another good player the Devils have that they got for basically nothing from the Golden Knights. <laughs> He's going to be able to play with one of either Jack Hughes or Taylor Hall. And if he doesn't, he'll still get power play time with them. That's a guy who I can see absolutely dominating, especially in the Metro where the teams are good, not great. My brain's telling me Kako. Part of me also wants to pick Hughes. I'm leaning towards Gusev as well. I mean, there's a lot of rumors that Jack Hughes is going to start at very least in the AHL for a couple games, which is really odd, but I can understand it. But the thing is with Gusev is that he reminds me, and he's almost a carbon copy of Artemi Panarin. Yeah. Panarin was an older rookie when he won the Calder. And well, Gusev's not that old, though. Panarin was 25. Yeah, he was 25. I think Gusev's... Gusev's 22 going on 23, so he's No, younger. he's not. No, I, I think he's 27. Nikita Gusev is not 27, he, I promise you. He is... Uh, let me. I got it right here. Oh, he is 27. Yeah. What? Yeah, he's, he's an older player. Wow. And he is doing the exact same thing Panarin's done. Tearing it up in the KHL forever. How much does it burn that that was the Lightning's prospect? They drafted him. How, how, do, how does that feel? We drafted him in the sixth round. We gave him to the Golden Knights so that way they would draft Jason Garrison over our other prospects. You I mean, it, it. it does sting, but it also kind of falls on the Golden Knights, too, for not keeping him. I, I think it's definitely much more on the Golden Knights. At least the Lightning didn't know at the time he was going to be this Yeah, because this was like way back when he, you know, it didn't look like he was ever going to come out of the KHL. So then right. uh, Eisman was like, all right, let's get something for him. That was a great Eisman impression, by the way. Was it? I have no, no idea. It no, it wasn't. I was just. Wasn't. I don't know what his impression is. It's just. He's just a robot. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm not. I'm not a robot. I'm a human being. So. Do you have any thoughts on who you think is a surprise team this year? Like we talked about the standings, obviously. Any team that really surprises you? Like, you think it's going to be really good or really bad? I think the popular picks going to be the Devils, but I want to go with the Canucks. Hey, you're on the Canucks train. They went from having zero star players back when the Sedins retired to having, like, three. Yeah, now they got Patterson, Besser, Horvat. They have a good depth team, too. Quinn Hughes. Quinn Hughes, yeah. I mean, they're going to be good. And I know it's not right now. I just want to say, Vasily Podolskin, what a great pick. Perfect. Chef's kiss. Yeah, they have a bunch of kids in the farm system that yep. look like absolute studs. And, I mean... I'm absolutely going to jump on the Canucks wagon. Well, not to root for them, but just for expecting them to be a lot better. I I know what you mean. They're definitely going to. I look at a team like the Red Wings, and I think they're going to be on the rise, too. I'm not saying they're going to be a playoff team necessarily. I can see it, though. I can see the, not this year, but I can see the Red Wings in three years. They're close. It's going to be the exact same thing that happened with Tampa. They're very close. running it. Because, yeah, you got Stevie Y. I think that Jeff Blaschel's an okay coach. I mean, you've got maybe the most underrated 
center in the NHL in Dylan Larkin. And you've got guys like Athanasio, Terrell Hyros, you just drafted Maurice Sider, who might play this year. I don't think he's going to, but there there are some rumors he might play. And they're going to call up Zadina. Zadina and Evgeny Svechnikov, um, maybe even Rasmussen. I loved Svechnikov when he was one of those draft prospects a couple years ago. Yeah, I mean... I, I was in love with him. His draft stock definitely took a hit, but he's he's still a good prospect. And, I mean, if they... Jimmy Howard is still good. Like, uh, underrated. Surprised. That surprises me. Like it, he, it really does. A lot of people talk about how John Van Beesbrook is, like, the best USA goalie of all time. I think Jimmy Howard might go down in history as the best USA guy. Over Jonathan Quick? No, I really don't think so. Because I think when you look at Jonathan Quick, he had a couple great performances, like a couple stellar games. But overall, his numbers are average for his NHL career and his international career. Jimmy Howard played on the big stage of the USA, was fantastic, held the fort in the Red Wings when they're bad and good. I mean, he's... You could say a lot about Jimmy Howard, but he's still got it. I do agree with you that he is a very underrated goaltender, and I think it's amazing he's still able to keep up uh, the style of play. But I would still put three American goaltenders over him. Who's the other, Aside from Quick, who's the other two? Bishop and John Gibson. I don't think Ben Bishop has done enough in his career because he was a late bloomer. Right, but he's kind of like a Tim Thomas kind of goaltender. But Tim Thomas wasn't good. He had a yeah, good he was. He had a good year. No, he was. his career numbers are terrible. Like he had one good year and he was he didn't play in the NHL until he was 30 years old. He had he played 5 seasons or something like that. That's not good. That's not legendary. He didn't even play at the international level, I don't think. If he did, he played one time and it wasn't memorable. His best years came in the twilight of his career. No, his best more years came like when his career was over. There was no <laughs> twilight. It was day and night. That's it. That's that's Listen, really twilight listen to me, Parker. <laughs> I can see, I can definitely get on board with John Gibson. I can. But he hasn't represented Team USA yet, so you can't say. Well, right, but John Gibson's extremely young, too. He, we both know he's going to represent USA. I think at some he point. will eventually be one of the best. It's just one. Right now, Jimmy Howard, to me, is the best overall Team USA goalie. I don't look at guys like Jonathan Quick and go, yeah, you. I mean, again, Jonathan Quick was one of the best goalies in the game at one point. You know, he's, he's average internationally. And that's what, I mean, this is really off track from what we we're talking about, but I just wanted to sort of diverge that way. I mean, it's a tough say. I do like the John Gibson pick, though, because he is vastly underrated. John Gibson is going to eventually evolve into probably one of the top three goaltenders in the NHL. I think he is right now. I look at guys, Vasilevsky, Carey Price, John Gibson. I don't want to put Carey Price up there. I no, feel I mean, like no, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. I'm sorry. Uh, no, I don't want to put Vasilevsky up there. I think you have to. No, Vasilevsky's a product of the team around him. I would put Holtby there over him. No, he's not. If you look at his underlying numbers, they win more, way more games when he plays well. And you can say that for most goalies, but you look at his numbers of like stopping the puck and his hot zones, he's incredible. Yeah, but what about when he isn't playing well and Tampa still wins? Uh, freaking Louis Domingue had like a 899 save percentage and Tampa won 20 games with him. Louis Domingue is elite. You leave Louis Domingue alone. <laughs> no, he's not. Okay, okay. So who would you put there he instead had, of Vasilevsky? He had one good half season with the Coyotes and that was it. I'm assuming you put Bobrovsky in that, right? Instead of Vasi? No, I was going really? uh, to put Brain Holpe. Really? Actually, no, that's that's probably not the, the best The product one. of his team as well? Yeah, he's also a product <laughs> of his team. Uh, uh, ben Bishop, maybe. I will have to put Ben Bishop up there. Very underrated goalie. Again, every USA goalie underrated. Vastly. 
For right now, I would put Pecorine. For right now? Right now, for one season, I would pick Pecorine over Vasilevsky. So here's the thing about Pecorine, and I've talked about this before. I know, he's old. No, no, no. He's gold. I've talked about he's this. He's playing better than uh, Lundqvist, and everyone's still, you know, in love with Lundqvist, including my, myself. But You I mean, look at Pecorine, though. It's almost like clockwork. Every other year, he's bad. Every other year, he's good. It changes like the seasons. On cue, Pecorine, what's this season? 2019-2020. He was great last year. This season, probably going to be not very good. That's literally his career trajectory. You can look up the numbers. There are quantifiable stats that say Pecorine from 2012 to now, every other season was a different version of himself. And the team around him changed very little. He played for the bad Predators. He played for the good Predators. I'm sure there's going to be some outliers, but that's how hockey works. He's just very consistently inconsistent. (laughs) Actually, this year is going to be the good year for oh, him. Oh, really? Yeah, because last year his save percentage was 918, and the year before that was 927 when he won the Vesna. Okay, so you so, see what I'm saying? You see what nine, I'm saying? But having a 918 save percentage is still pretty good. Well, I'm saying that's a good goalie. And he still got 30 wins this season. Oh, it must have been hard to get wins of the Predators who won their conference. I imagine that was so tough on him. <laughs> I get what you're saying. We'll see. Pecorine, a very good goalie. We'll see. I would like to see Andre Vasilevsky. Well, no, I actually don't want to see this, but I feel like we don't truly know if Vasilevsky is that good unless we see him on a team that is not the Lightning. I I think maybe this year Carter Hart might get a chance to show what he can do. I think he's got that talent. He's been a name for a while. Yeah, Carter Hart was one of the uh, golden darling boy goalie prospects. I also he think been, I yeah. also think we could say the same for Spencer Knight in a couple of years. I think Spencer Knight has the potential to be extremely good in the future as well. I agree. He's one of those guys who I think, with the right development, is going to be elite. And I look at a team like the Panthers, and I go, you know what? That's the right team for him. Back to Carter Hart for one second. I don't know if you remember this. I don't know if you even watched this. A couple of years ago at the World Juniors for Team USA in Canada, you remember the game where Carter Hart lost in OT to lose the medal? So I think it was like... It was a close game. They went to OT, obviously. It was Carter Hart versus a Flames goalie prospect. Can you name that goalie prospect? I can't wait to hear this answer. David Riddich? David Riddich is Swiss. Uh, no. It was Tyler... It was, it was Tyler Parsons. That was his name. He was a USC goalie prospect. He won the game in overtime in a shootout, I think. And the Flames, who can use goaltending, have yet to call him up. He's still in the minors, bopping around. I'm not saying he's their savior, but circling back, again, the Flames, wasting a prospect. But that's a very tangent-esque thing. I just wanted to throw that out there, see if you knew. Yeah, what's the point of... This is something that drives me nuts with some teams. What's the point of getting a high-level prospect and then just burying them in in the minors forever? The Red Wings did that for a couple of years with a few of their prospects. You mean all of their prospects? Yeah, like yeah, all their pro- yeah, all yeah, all of them except for Larkin. Well, Lark- he was Lark- USA Lark- though, so they can't really bury him anywhere but the AHL. Right. Yeah, like this was something I saw the Flyers do last year, and then as soon as they fired their coach and GM, they called up all these prospects, including Hart. All of them are good True. for Philly. Every single one of them is playing really good, and every single one of them was a high-level prospect or a prospect that was doing well in the development league. Minus Nolan Patrick. 
minus well, Nolan Patrick. had a rough year. Well, Nolan Patrick, they're just sheltering him. He's had a very rough career so far, but you are right. They're playing him in a shutdown role as opposed to a point production role, which I think is good for him. Yeah, it's whack. We'll see. It's like I get why teams don't want to call up all their prospects because you're not guaranteed that they're going to be good. But I, I sort of view that as sort of like a short-term pain for long-term reward because go through those growing pains so you know what you have. For sure. And then decide what to do with them. Don't just leave them in the minors forever yeah, and I mean, never know what you have, like what the Flames are doing. Right, and I think there's several instances that tell you like how to overseason and how to underseason. Like you look at a team... I'll just use one from personal reference, the Penguins, with Derek Pouillat. He was a very highly touted prospect, probably was never going to live up to the height, but they sheltered him, sheltered him, sheltered him in the minors, and then when he got to the NHL, he just couldn't do it. He was way too overseasoned, and he wanted to play hockey, and it just didn't pan out. That's an example of overseasoning. I look at what the Flyers did with Nolan Patrick. They, w- they didn't give him a chance to develop. They, for all intents and purposes, took him right from the Brandon Wheat Kings and thrust him into this top six role, playing alongside the Flyers' best players, and he couldn't develop his own style. He was sort of just put as the checker on most lines. That's not his play. So, I mean, that's... But you're right. It, it really depends on development. If anything, thing that you should do is just, like, depending on how old they are, obviously, it's just, like, put them in the AHL for, like, a season and call them up and see what they could do. That's it. That's True. all you need to do. Yep, I mean, you're not, you're not wrong. Aside from that... There wasn't too much more news in the NHL. We're still sort of at the uh, we're, we're at the waning part of the offseason. All the insiders are vacationing. Bob McKenzie's on a boat somewhere. Incredible. Uh, Bobby Margaritas. I love his offseason, <laughs> by the way. But there, there is some news. You know, there, there, there's been some things going around. Uh, Elliot Friedman, I think it was, had... Or was it Elliot Friedman or Chris Johnston? I'm wondering Chris Johnston. One of them had an interview with Capococco and Sebastian Ajo uh, in Finland this offseason recently where Capococco basically said he might not play for the, or not Capococco, Patrick Laine basically said he might not play for the Jets again. And Sebastian Ajo basically said he believes in what Montreal's doing, but way more extolling of their virtues. That was pretty interesting. I don't know if you caught that or not. So did Ajo want to play for Montreal? I mean, like, he signed what, the contract. What, like what was, okay. I assume so. Because if you don't put pen to paper, if, if like, are, are you telling me if the Oilers came and offered him that contract, he'd want to do it? I doubt it. But the Canadians are appealing. You know, they've got a good team. I could see why he would sign there. It's really odd. I think this is the year that we see some offer sheets. Like Mitch Marner, still not signed. There was a rumor going around two weeks ago that there was a team preparing to offer sheet him by, by the start of training camp. Probably the Islanders. You have Patrick Laine, Matt Kachuk, Kyle Connor, Brandon Point. Brandon Point. Ivan Provorov, there's there's a lot of Freydens that are just not signed for some reason. It's really odd this year. Well, it's because they're waiting for the Marner signing, so that way they know how much they should get paid. Well, I've it all comes back to the CBA, which is the players don't want to, for lack of a better term, they don't want to screw themselves over because next year that CBA looms large. If they sign now, they lose a year. If they don't sign now, they lose a year. So it's really a waiting game to see what teams are going to offer them and if they can get what they need. Otherwise, they're screwed either way. That's what the CBA does, unfortunately. 
which if you didn't see, the NHL opted not to reopen it, which is a good thing. They believe that the league and the PA are close enough on a deal that they don't need to reopen the contract, which essentially means they bypass their option to close the deal out next year. And the NHL PA has until September 15th, as we talked about. If they choose to not opt into it, then we are making a significant progress towards a new CBA. You you look a little... Uh, I'm a little worried with the, <laughs> with the, with the NHLPA. I would be too, but... Because player associations will always do what they can to get the most for their players. And we're, we're going to see this in the NFL too when those negotiations open up, especially the NFL. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. That's, that one, that's going to be ugly. That's going to be... That, that's going to be a doozer. We'll, we'll see. The MLB too soon. I don't see the MLB one really being... That big of a... We'll see. Because the minor leagues are pretty rough, and I think that's where it starts out. Oh, okay. Um, and one more little bit of news. Did you see... It's kind of funny. So the guy's name is... I think it's Dan Kelly. He is a AHL player. And you won't know the name right at the top of your head. But you know who Andreas Janssen is, right? From the Maple Leafs? Yep. Speedy. A couple of years ago, I think it was two seasons ago, Dan Kelly crushed Andreas Janssen illegally. Got a 10-game suspension for it. Andreas Janssen was out for basically the whole year. Dan Kelly is going to be a referee now. And I think that's hilarious. <laughs> he just got his ref license, and he's going to be, I think, an angel ref. So I just wanted to see if you had heard about that yet. Man, that's like Cronwall <laughs> becoming the director of player safety <laughs> at the NHL. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I think it was a... Steve Dangle made a joke <laughs> on his show about when Andreas Janssen's in a game that Kelly's roughing, if he just, like, slashes somebody across the face, is Kelly going to be like, you know what, I didn't see it. We'll just give you one off because I sort of almost ended your season. You know, I'll give you one free pass. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, though, how far off is Cronwall from the player safety? Because George Peros ran it. Brandon Shanahan ran it. Brandon Shanahan, a notoriously physical player, cheap shots sometimes, ran the NHL... Player safety. George Peros, a fighter who hits dirty, never got a suspension. I wonder why. Ran it. So are you telling me that Radko Gudis has a chance of becoming the... I think Tom Wilson's going <laughs> to be the head soon. <laughs> like, they already got it. Like, think about this. Tom Wilson could take over tomorrow, and he's already got every single example of what not to do on a hockey surface. Like, he could be like, the reason we're giving... This player, a suspension is because, well, quite frankly, I've done it myself multiple times, and I know how to hit illegally. And, you know, this was just not an illegal enough hit. So he's not getting suspension. And that's what Tom Wilson's going to, that's his future. Do you understand? Like, this is his future. Good times in the NHL. It's ironic, and I love it. It's, who, who is the director of player safety right now? I think it's still George Peros. George Peros. Incredible. Yep. We'll, we'll see. Uh, it's... Uh, the whole thing with him was he never got suspended in his career. Okay, well, to be fair, he wasn't good enough to play hockey most of his career. He fought. And second of all, he also played during the little era there that they just didn't suspend people. Like, you can just bludgeon somebody with your hockey stick, and it was cool. I'd bring the tail for John Scott to be uh That'd be all right. Director. So before we wrap the show today, I wanted to ask you a little off-the-collar question. What's the oddest hockey story you've ever heard? I'll give you some time to think. I'll rattle mine off. 
So Drew Doughty, I think it was Drew Doughty, there was a story a couple of years ago about from the Kings training staff, and they were talking about the one time they had a player come in. I think it was either Doughty or Carter or Richards. One of the three, I'm pretty sure. Anyways, they go to the training staff after the game, broken teeth, busted jaw. The training staff's like fixing his teeth, and they're like, what's this black stuff? Like, I got his teeth, like, and his gums. Like, is this just like, is it like his teeth? Is it just like paint? He had carbon fiber jammed into his gums. And if you've never had a carbon fiber sliver, it is probably the most painful thing in the world. And he had this in his teeth. Like, they had to pull teeth out and unembed the carbon fiber from his jaw and his teeth. I'm sorry, this is, I probably should have put a cringe warning in before I said that story. But I've never heard of somebody getting hit in the face so hard with a stick. They had carbon fiber and stick tape inside of their teeth. And I wanted you to understand that that's the oddest thing I've ever heard. And I feel like you've got one, so let's, let's hear it. I feel like the one that I could remember is one with Brad Marchand licking people. Oh, when he licked Komarov and Callahan? <laughs> yeah. That's probably up there, too. <laughs> it's, it's like, I remember he licked Callahan, and Callahan was like, what the hell are you doing? And then he just started fighting, and I'm like, what the hell? I think another one was, uh, who was the guy, his G- I think he was a GM, who threw the shoe at somebody? He's a broadcaster now. I forget who it is. I feel like that's something John Tortorella would do. It wasn't John Tortorella. Well, no, John Tor- well, no, what John Tortorella would do is he would break down the glass and then just like uh, charge at someone with two shoes Do you remember, a hockey stick. Do you remember the time he fought the coach of the uh, Flames? In- yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. By the way, it was Mike Milbury. Mike Milbury. Of Islanders and being bad fame who threw a shoe at somebody. That's incredible. And the only other one I can think of off the top of my head is... Um, Ty Domi jumped over the stands into the penalty box after somebody. There's a fan banging the glass. So Ty Domi, when the guy knocked the glass over, beat the guy up in the, in the penalty box. That's also hilarious. Uh, one that I remember is a report from TSN that some Ontario Hockey League prospects were urged to remove all Fortnite references from their social media because NHL teams thought the game was a I remember that. There, there. Actually, you know what? You've you've jogged my memory on one more. <laughs> Patrick Line and his Fortnite addiction is another interesting one too. Honey. What the team had to tell him not to play Fortnite anymore on game nights or like when they were on the road. That was a thing. That's like because Patrick Line is about our age. That's like telling me to not play Dark Souls. Yeah, essentially. Actually, there's one more. I hate to keep saying actually, but did you hear about the KHL team who sacrificed a goat on the ice? <laughs> what? There was apparently this is not an uncommon thing in Russia. Shocking. The KHL team, I don't know who they were, had a live goat sacrifice at Center Ice. And apparently several of the players were nauseated, visibly upset at it, had never seen a goat be slaughtered and sacrificed in a hockey rink. <laughs> I just I I really don't understand. But then again, I do because it's KHL. I remember when the Penguins signed the Jack Johnson and then John Tortorella just absolutely lost it to whatever beat writer was uh, interviewing him. Like He just <laughs> lost his freaking mind. How many instances can you come up with of John Tortorella <laughs> losing his mind? At, at, le- at, least, uh, at least once or twice a season. There was a time, at least. I think it was with the Canucks, he said, when asked about his goaltending prospects or about his goaltending uh, performance, 
it'd be nice to get the, the damn occasional save every once in a while. <laughs> and that reminds me of the quote from, I think it was like a, a USC coach in the 70s. He was like, what did you think about your team's execution tonight? And he's like, I'm in favor of it. <laughs> That's what that reminds me of. <laughs> <laughs> so unless you have any other stories, I think we'll wrap on the goat sacrifice and we'll call it for today's episode. Uh, as you could tell, there wasn't too, too much to talk about, but we are getting there, and the shows will be more linear going forward, hopefully. Hopefully we'll have some news on Fragrance very soon. For today, that's uh, that's it, and thank you all for listening. Parker, why don't you give us your famous catchphrase at the end of every show? Keep it locked.